Well, I don't want to uh, delay any longer. I'm excited about Proverbs. Um, so we love the Bible here, and this isn't just about hearing five rock star guys. We want to hear about the rock stars of the Bible. So uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. One of our ushers will give you one. Uh, it's really important that as we're studying the scriptures that you see the scriptures for yourself. And it's not just about what these guys have to say, but what's in the Word. All right. Um, so as I had mentioned, five guys, David, Scott, Brandon, we've got Josh and Joe. All these studly guys that are going to be sharing with us. So five Proverbs today. Uh, that could feel like a lot. It's not just one scripture. So uh, I'm sure that every single one of them has some awesome truth to share. But what's most important is for some truth for you. So please ask God for what truth he's speaking to you specifically today about. There's something that he wants you to have. So as you're listening to these five guys, try to hold on to that. There might be one scripture in particular that he wants you to hold on to. Um, so as you're listening, try to listen for that one scripture so that when you leave today, you've got something that you can ruminate on, pray about, and hold on to. All right. Um, let's go ahead and pray. That sounds good. Ah, Father, thank you so much for these men. And we ask for right now that your Holy Spirit would be right here speaking to us. We want your word. We want your truth. We want it to go deep into our hearts, and it's very easy for us to get calloused and to miss what you're trying to teach us. So open up our hearts. Let there be soft, fertile soil for your word. Speak to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you. And because of what Jesus has done for this, we pray, and we know that you hear us. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's start with Mr. Garcia. Give him a round. Hi, good morning. Uh, I introduced myself before, but I'm still Joe Garcia. Um, to my notes, I need to say that. Um, I uh, was working it out. Cindy and I have been part of this church. She's been part for 20. I've been a part of this church for 19. Uh, and we, we really love you guys. Um, and I, I, I love this church. And I just want to say it's an honor. And uh, thank you for letting me uh, share today. It says breathe, so I need to do that. Um, uh, Steve asked if, <clears throat> excuse me. Steve asked if I wanted to speak on, on proverbs, and, and I got excited at first because I like talking. Uh, and then I, I realized that I'm more of a New Testament kind of guy, so proverbs isn't my, really my thing. Uh, and also, it turns out a penny saved is a penny earned is not actually in in the Bible. Uh, so I had to peruse for some other proverbs, and there's some very good ones here. So I, I'm excited uh, about getting acquainted with the wisdom of proverbs, and I look forward to hearing what, what uh, my, my brothers here have to say and what God will say through them. So uh, this is going to be a good time. Uh, so the, the proverb that I was going to share today is Proverbs 25, uh, 1 and 2. It should be up on the screen at some point. If not, you can, you can go ahead and look it up. Um, we'll read it in just a second. Uh, so have, have you ever come across someone in your daily life that, that did not like you? And it wasn't merely that they didn't like you, but uh, you could tell that they were taking every opportunity to do you harm. Uh, it could be at work or in your neighborhood or possibly even uh, a family member. Uh, it could be someone who cuts you off in traffic or a person who belittles you for your faith. Uh, it could be a political group that is either more conservative or more liberal than, than you are. Uh, it could be a group that, that boycotts your favorite restaurant, um, just off the top of my head. Um, it could be a coworker who lied about you or a boss who fired you. Uh, it could be a parent who abandoned you or a family member who constantly insults you or a spouse who has ignored you or a person who has hurt or abused someone you love. So there's no shortage of, of potential uh, people like that in the world. Um, 
and uh, if you have a person or persons like that in your life, uh, the book of Proverbs has uh, some helpful solutions on how to deal with these people, uh, with these types of people. So let's uh, let's read Proverbs 25. Oh, good, it's up there. Okay, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Uh, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So as I understand this passage correctly, God expects us to treat our enemies uh, in the following way. He wants us to uh, uh, feed them when they're hungry, and he wants us to give them water when they're thirsty. Uh, And I believe that God wants to change our hearts to want to serve our enemies, uh, because James tells us that all people are made in God's image, uh, even the jerky ones. and uh, and and God may and, and we may pay, play a role in the conversion of the jerky ones. Um, so how does He do that? Well, God promises two things. He promises that if we do these things, if we care, if we show kindness to our enemies, that uh, burning coals will be poured on our enemy's head. Okay, so that's one. And also, uh, more importantly, God will reward us. Uh, now, burning coals are that I don't really fully understand uh, what it is, but uh, there's a couple of interpretations of heaping burning coals on your enemy's head, uh, and the general consensus is this, is that burning coals are bad. You you don't want burning coals heaped on your head. Um, so there's two uh, possible interpretations. One is that burning coals are equivalent to punishment, uh, specifically God's punishment on an unrepentant heart or an unrepentant soul. So the thought is this, that as uh, is my enemy is facing an eternity of God's wrath if he will not repent. Um, that fact should stir me to serve my enemy in the hope that he will turn to God for salvation. Uh, another possibility is that burning coals equals shame, in that as you do good works to your enemy, he will be shamed by his own actions and hopefully repent. Uh, either way, I think the point is made that as you show kindness and goodness to your enemy, God will use that kindness and uh, and that goodness as burning coals on his head and bring your enemy to repentance. And then uh, God will reward you. So that's that's really good news, and that's what kind of what I want to focus on. Um, though this passage doesn't say explicitly how God will reward you, the the, the Bible is full of uh, promises in terms of uh, uh, full of promises of, of God's rewards if you follow His commandments. Uh, the two that I've chosen to focus on are Luke six thirty five. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it to you. Luke six thirty five is uh, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You'll be sons and daughters of the Most High, for He is kind and grateful. He is kind to the grateful and to the evil. And then another one is Isaiah 41:10, which says, "Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." So the t- the two promises there are that one that, that God will adopt us, and as He adopts us, He also cleanses us and forgives our sins, and then also He promises to strengthen us, to help us, and to uphold us with His righteous right hand. And um, there should be, uh, if you go to the, the, the next slide, there's a whole slew of other promises that that God promises to do. You can you can write down the references there. Um, Psalm 103 is, is a great uh, reward that, that God promises to those that follow His commandments. It pretty much encapsulates everything. So I, I would highly recommend uh, checking out Psalm 103. But there's other other good stuff there as well. Um, so one of the ways that this has worked out in my life is, is that I have a coworker who has a tendency to throw me uh, under the bus whenever he feels a need. He gets pretty cranky and pretty angry, and, and, and uh, you know, there's actually a lot, a lot of rage in, in him. Um, 
And uh, well, I'm not the only one that that uh, is the recipient of that. Uh, it's happened to me enough times that uh, sometimes I, I tend to ponder uh, what sweet, sweet revenge would be like. Um, and while I wrestle with this, I, I find myself gleefully planning what to say in response, how to argue with him, recalling the hypocrisies of his problems with me, but looking away when one of his uh, pals has done the same thing, or when he does the same thing. And also, uh, sometimes I, I have rejoiced in, in watching him screw up. Um, and but that that's not good. There's promises that you shouldn't do that. Um, in his kindness, in his kindness, God has led me to a place where I can lay down my coworkers' every accusation and uh, my every retaliatory argument. Uh, because of the Holy Spirit working graciously in my heart, uh, I can let the Holy Spirit defend and protect me. And God continues to change my heart so that I can forgive and serve and care for my coworker. And also part of this is he, he frees me from fear, because there's a lot of that involved uh, with me. So, uh, just wrapping up here, a um, couple things that loving your enemy and showing them kindness is not. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a call to picnic or vacation with your enemy. Uh, God, will, God will work in you as to whether or not that's appropriate. Uh, nor is it a call to not seek justice for someone who is dangerous. Uh, the Bible is very clear about our role as Christians uh, and, and our role in protecting the vulnerable and the innocent. So, uh, so see, we can still seek justice and still uh, seek to do good to our enemies. Um, and I think the call to show kindness to our enemies is God's call to free uh, our heart from bitterness, anger, and revenge. It's God's loving provision for us to not be bound by soul-stifling, Holy Spirit-quenching hate. And it's his way for us to be free from giving Satan a hold on our hearts. So uh, the application here, for, for me at least, is to uh, set my heart, and hopefully your hearts, to follow and obey Jesus. Because only he can give us an enemy-loving heart. And uh, we can focus on, as, as we focus on his love for us and all that he offers us as a reward, he will reward us. And we can see him working wonders in our lives. He will change our hearts and he will change our enemies' hearts. And as I have thought and prayed about this passage, uh, I've, I've been convicted to practice this heart uh, with the people I, that I love, the people that are, are not my enemies. Um, because I believe the Lord is stirring uh, us, and it's entirely possible it's just me, uh, to exercise mercy and grace and forgiveness to those that are closest to us in our church and in our home groups and in our families, and then also to our enemies. Uh, that's all I have. Um, and it's important to remember, too, that the, the gospel is inherent here because we can't do any of this stuff with, aside from, from the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. I did, I did want to say that. Uh, normally, I, w- I would offer uh, this time up for questions, but I think um, since I'm out of time, uh, I think uh, Scott will take questions for my... And that just kind of going down the line. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, uh, but that's all I have. Thank you for letting me share. Good morning. Uh, the proverb I selected is Proverbs 26:11. So just the next chapter. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not. Proverbs 26:11. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And I want to start by apologizing for selecting such an unpleasant proverb. I know you didn't come to church uh, this morning wanting to hear about vomit. 
but I chose this proverb for three reasons. Um, firstly, the, the imagery is quite graphic and it's stuck in my head, and so I'm hoping that the imagery can help us to remember the lesson that's in the proverb. Second, um, Peter, the Apostle Peter, actually quotes this proverb in the book of Second Peter, and he calls it a true proverb. So I figured it's a good one from which we could learn something. And third, the proverb is about a dog. And my son, Scott, has been wanting to get a dog, so it kind of caught my attention. And it made me wonder, okay, what is this dog, and why is he returning to his vomit? Well, my wife, Lenora, confirmed to me that when she was little, she had a dog, and this dog would throw up, and then later would come back and would eat her vomit. And it's gross. And so I looked on the Internet, and it's very common for dogs to uh, eat their vomit. It's gross, but it also doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you think about the process of vomiting, let's say you ate something bad and um, your body didn't like it. So it keeps it in your stomach. It holds it there, trying to figure out whether to let it move on. But finally, your body rejects it and, and you throw up. Now, does it make sense to go back and eat that vomit? Um, no, because it's gross. But also, the food wasn't good the first time. Does it make sense that it would be better the second time? That you're going to go and eat it again? Was it better, you know, sitting on the ground there? So the proverb is saying that a fool who repeats his folly is like that. The folly wasn't good the first time, and yet somehow the fool is going back and doing the same thing again. Now, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is associated with um, fearing and following God, and folly is associated with uh, ignoring God, rejecting righteousness, and instead turning towards sin and evil desires. So this proverb is talking about um, us repeating our sinful ways. And for me, it hits home. I mean, uh, you know, after I sin, I'll feel bad. I'll feel guilty. Uh, I'll realize how foolish it was. Um, and thank, thank God he forgives me. And yet, sometime later, you know, I'll find myself committing sin again. And often, it's the exact same sin. It's like I've forgotten, you know, the foolishness of my ways and gone back and repeated my sin. But while this proverb is quite negative, I don't think it's God's intent in this verse to just uh, judge us and leave us. Uh, this proverb is meant to serve as a warning to, uh, to recognize our folly and then to abandon it and turn to him. That's where true joy is found. Um, you know, I find it interesting that our bodies actually have a kind of a, a automatic dislike for things that we've uh, rejected before. I had this coworker uh, who couldn't eat oranges, and I was surprised. I mean, oranges are good. I think most people, you know, would admit that they're tasty and refreshing. But as a young girl, she had thrown up after eating an orange. And now she couldn't eat an orange without associating it with the experience of, of vomiting. And I had the same experience uh, when I was seasick. The, the previous night, I'd had a nice big dinner with lots of basil, which was very apparent to me when I was seasick and throwing up. And I, I couldn't eat basil for like a few years after that. If only spiritually we could have the same response, that after sinning and feeling the remorse, that we would say, oh, yeah, the next time I would, I would never do that again, just this natural aversion. That would be such a blessing. Um, you know, tempted to gossip, oh, gross, or, or lie, yuck. Um, bitterness, no way. If only it were within our control. 
Um, but it's not. It's in God's control. Just like if you wanted to cut down on sweets, can you make yourself not like chocolate? You know, it, it doesn't work that way. But the Bible is full of verses talking about how God can change us. In Romans 12, it talks about um, that God can transform us through the renewing of our mind. Uh, in Ro- in uh, Psalms, it talks about uh, storing God's word in our hearts so that we would not sin against him. And Galatians talks about how God creates the fruit, grows the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So for myself, as I read this verse, I found myself asking God, oh, please, would you give me this um, distaste for sin so that I would no longer sin? And um, I think in some parts of my life, you know, he's, a, he's accomplished that. When I, was, when I was younger, I used to always compare myself to other people. You know, if, if I was better at something than someone, you know, I'd feel good. But if they were better than me, then I would feel jealous. And God was, has been able to show me over the years how foolish that is. Um, not only um, does it not honor him, but it does me no good either. All it does is draw me away from God, from recognizing how good he's been to me, that he's, for all that he's done for me and in me. But, of course, um, there's, there's many other areas that I, I still need God to change me, as, as Joe is uh, saying, for bitterness or anger, you know, um, or lack of love and kindness. I'm still waiting on God to transform me. I'm waiting for him. You know, I'm storing God's word in my heart so I won't sin against him. I'm waiting for the, asking for the fruit of the spirit in my life. And in addition to that, when I'm tempted, I'm now trying to remember this verse. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. To recognize, you know, the sin is no good. It wasn't good the first time. It's not going to be good the next time. And... Uh, so I just uh, want to ask God that he would help us to, to turn away from sin and to turn to him. Thank you. Good morning. My name is uh, Josh McGuire, and my scripture is Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. And I'm not sure if that's going to be up there. No, it's not going to. Okay, so um, at the beginning of this year, uh, God gave me this verse, and I haven't been able to uh, shake it. Uh, I read it uh, one time and accidentally memorized it. And I, I don't know if uh, that happens to any of you, but that never happens to me. Um, so not, not only that, but God started to use it to change my heart uh, immediately. I don't know if it's what other people call a life verse, but it has certainly changed my life. So the proverb says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart that you might find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and of men. So in the first part, the proverb talks about not letting uh, truth and kindness leave you. Some Bible versions that you're probably looking at right now use different words um, instead of kindness. Some say mercy, some say steadfast love. But what the Hebrew word is really trying to get at is an an intense favor towards someone, uh, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. 
And in the same way, uh, different Bible versions use different words instead of truth, um, like loyalty and faithfulness. But again, the, the word is really trying to get at this idea of a truth that is firm and cannot be moved. So these are two traits that God does not want to leave us, uh, a intense kindness and a firm truth. So the second part of the proverb implies that these two traits are constantly in danger of flying away from us. And it talks about how to keep this from happening. It says to bind them around our necks and write them on the tablet of our hearts. So one aspect of binding kindness or intense kindness and firm truth around our necks is a visual reminder. And what, what I do is I have two uh, sticky notes on my desk, one that says uh, kindness and the other says uh, um, truth, and, and I, I look at it throughout the day. Similarly, when the proverb says to write things on, the, write these traits on the, the tablet of your heart, it means to memorize uh, this scripture and other scripture, so that even when we don't have sticky notes, we can we can remember this. Um, but I, I think it requires more than just memorization. That's that's more akin to writing things on the tablet of your mind. I, I think when um, when the scripture is talking about writing on the tablet of your heart, that's something that God does. Um, it's something that requires a change in us. So the question is, how can we move God to write this on the tablet of our heart? And I think the next proverb that immediately follows this one gives us a little insight. And, and some of you uh, probably know this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So Trust in the Lord and acknowledge Him, and He'll write on the tablet of your heart so that you'll have a straight path. So there's there's something that, uh, as I've been thinking about this verse, that has become very apparent to me, that you need both this intense kindness and the firm truth to stay on that straight path. If you just have one without the other, you veer off the path. And how I've been thinking about this is I visualize that I've got these these two powerful white stallions in front of me pulling me along God's path straight. So one on this side is named Firm Truth. And then the one on the other side is named Intense Kindness. Now if I just have Firm Truth pulling me, I veer off to the side of the, the path into harshness and legalism. Um, but on the other hand, if I just have intense kindness pulling me, I tend to, to fall into just pleasing men over Jesus. So you need both um, this intense kindness and firm truth um, pulling you along to go straight. Finally, the proverb talks about uh, the outcome of keeping firm truth and intense kindness. It says, we'll find favor and a reputation of good understanding in the sight of God and of men. Now, this is another thing that has just been transformative um, to me about this scripture. It, the, the promise has the power to free us from anxiety over pleasing men. Do you feel the power of that? It's it's huge. 
Um, throughout the scripture, uh, we hear how we're supposed to be pleasing God instead of men. And this proverb tells us how that works. It says, um, if we pursue intense kindness, it pleases God. He'll, he'll favor us. And not only that, but God causes men to favor us. So we don't have to worry about pleasing men. All we've got to do is worry about trusting in the Lord and pleasing Him. And He throws in the, the pleasure of men just, you know, as a freebie. So it's, it's very, it's been extremely freeing for me. So what has intense kindness look like for me recently? Well, I've started with simple things like uh, buying uh, um, b- gifts for you know babies that have been born for some of my coworkers and, and setting up one-on-one lunches just to talk with them um, and sharing the gospel. And for firm truth, uh, when I catch myself... Uh, you know, trying to hide my mistakes or shading the truth to to make myself look better. Um, I try to immediately correct myself by saying something like, uh, "Well, that's not exactly right. What I should have said was," and then I say what I should have said. Um, so, I know these are small steps, but the thing that makes them significant is that they're coming from a heart that's been changed. So that's been that's been extremely exciting. So in closing, I'd just like to encourage each of you to keep this intense kindness and this firm truth with you. Like put up visual reminders of, uh, of these things in your offices or homes or cars and uh, memorize scripture, just even if it's a small phrase, to keep it with you in your heart. But very importantly, I, I think it's been helpful for me to focus on this promise that God's given us um, and really, really trust that he'll be true and use that to fuel your you know, intense kindness and your commitment to the firm truth. Thank you. Good morning. Mercy Hill. So my proverb is uh, proverb Proverbs nineteen twenty one, and if you want to turn there, you can see what it says for yourself. Like Ian said, so Proverbs nineteen twenty one says, "Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the Lord's purpose that will stand." My question for you this morning is: Do you ever feel uh, that things are slightly out of control. 2012 seems a little bit more complex than 1982, perhaps. Um, that making plans seems a little bit uh, pointless in this seemingly chaotic world. Or or even worse, that you feel like you're on your own to make life happen. Uh, I know that I sometimes do, and actually when I'm really honest with myself, I feel that way a lot, and I operate from that feeling. Uh, but there's hope, and this proverb, I think, is going to help us out with that, at least. Um, what I love about Proverbs 19.21 is that it shows me the truth of God's sovereignty over my fickle plans. Um, that we often have a million times, at least I do, a million million ideas running through our heads throughout the day, going this way and that. But that God's purpose is ultimately going to triumph over everyone and everything, 
And here's a, a similar verse uh, that helps paint, at least for me, a bigger picture of God's um, sovereignty over human scheming. It's from Proverbs uh, 16.9, kind of double dipping here, sorry. Uh, another proverb, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We are sure that nothing can come against God's will. Uh, in Psalm 33.11 we read, but the plans of the Lord stand forever firm forever, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. John Gill, in his exposition of the Bible, says, or said many years ago, uh, all things in this world are ordered as he pleases, and all things are done as he has ordered them. All his purposes, not just some, all his purposes are or will be fulfilled. I don't think anybody in this room can say the same. I know I can't. All my plans are going to happen today. Woohoo! Yay me! But God can say that. So does this mean that we're just supposed to fold our hands and say, let go and let God? I don't think so. Uh, because the Bible doesn't speak well of the sluggard who sits around and waits for things to happen. Uh, planning is a good thing. I think most of you would, would agree with me. The, the Bible does... Uh, we, we sometimes, when we don't plan, we go through life less prepared and, and less effective as, than we were the day before. If we to take this idea of, well, whatever God's going to do, is going to do it, and that's it. Um, so we can take a, a truth and, and just kind of manipulate it. So if God's purpose stands at the end of today and at the end of all time as we know it, what's our role? What is our role in this? Um, it would seem from this verse and others like it that our role is to submit our plans to, to Jesus and to not just submit our plans to Jesus, but to experience him changing us and quite often that changing our plans as well. Um, he wants to change us from the inside out. Um, he wants us to intentionally, I think he wants us to, to intentionally ask him what his plans are. Okay. And instead of aimlessly hoping that our plans are somehow going to align with his, or that he's looking over our shoulder and patting us on the back, say, well, looks like you're doing good. Continue to take it from here. Um, he wants us to seek him. He wants a relationship with him. He, he proved that on the cross. Um, in my own life this year, I've been praying for God's direction uh, in terms of a new career, a better providing um, a career for my family. And it's been, it's been difficult to trust Jesus, not because he's not trustworthy, but because I kind of fear that he'll, he'll give me the wrong answer, that he'll, he'll give me something less than what I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, but I love what Steve said a few weeks ago, that God gives us what we ask for, not maybe necessarily right away, but he'll give us what we ask for or better because he knows what's best for us. Um, I'm learning that um, sometimes God needs to trump my own plans and that that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Um, and through some dead ends and some scary alleyways th these last few months, I've learned that it's at the intersection of my plans and God's purpose uh, that he personally meets me when I cry out to him. Uh, Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know, O Lord, I know, he's not saying I think, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Do you see that? 
God is intricately involved in our lives, and and His purpose in our lives will prevail as if we're trusting in Him, if we're seeking Him. It's truly awesome to know that we serve not only one God who is in control of everything, but that He's kind and that He knows exactly what will both perfectly meet our needs and perfectly fall in line with His purpose for, for us and for everyone on this planet. So he, I want you to know he's, he's our creator, um, that he, he is kind, he's gracious. And we read in Romans 8.32 um, that he didn't spare his, his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what's not to love about God and his purposes, right? When we, when we really think about this and really grapple with this truth, um, it's so much better than my fickle plans, for sure. I, I've tested these doors of opportunity the last few months, applied for different uh, jobs, but ultimately God has helped me trust him more through the no's, through the not yet's, through the, yeah, you're qualified, but not yet, or something like that. He wants me to experience more of his love and not just mentally agree that he's got it all under control. So let's trust him as we plan and as we live, and let's not miss out on more of Jesus through those plans as he orchestrates um, his purpose in our lives, all for our glory, for his glory and for our joy. So here's my action step for you. I want you uh, to make... Uh, time this week, or even today, would probably be better before the week starts and, and ends, uh, to pray and ask God to help you see his purpose for your life. Okay, it's all it's all throughout scripture. Um, you don't need to go to Barnes & Noble and get a self-help book. God's word is sufficient. Um, and, and to lay down your plans before him, to submit your plans to him, and realize He's he's got perhaps even better plans for you in his purpose. And and just simply behold, behold his glory. That's the whole point. Okay, um, It's not, okay, I'm going to seek God for an answer. Just for an answer, I'm going to seek God for God because he's awesome. And I want to I fill my heart with his glory. And um, it's, really, it's really interesting that when we do that, that we also begin to sit, sense his purposeful next steps for our lives. Thank you. Good morning. I got a question for you guys this morning. <clears throat> How would you like to be rich? <clears throat> well, um, God actually talks about that through King Solomon in Proverbs. Um, my proverb, or the proverb that I'm going to be talking about today, is uh, Proverbs 13:11. It's uh, page 536 in the, the Bibles that you have. It says, um, "Wealth gained hastily will dwindle." But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So it's a pretty simple idea. I mean, the, the come on, how'd you like to be rich? I think the passage tells us uh, save. Little by little, gather money and, and save. Um, I think it's pointless, it's futile to try to go for that quick score or make a, make a killing in the market really quick. Because it's going to dwindle. It's going to disappear. 
Um, and this isn't just folksy wisdom. I know it might kind of sound like, oh yeah, that's something Grandpa would say or something. But there's actually, um, I, I found an article in Forbes, uh, April 2012. It was titled, Three Ways Not Winning the Lottery May Make You Wealthy. And the, uh, the, the uh, article cited a couple of sources and it talked about uh, lottery winners. Uh, there was one article, or one citation from a, a, an article from the Review of Economics and Statistics where it talked about 1,900 lottery, lottery winners in Florida actually went bankrupt in five years. And that's like twice, so that means that twice the, the folks that won the lottery were twice as likely to go bankrupt in five years than non-lottery winners. And there was another one where this, uh, the Certified Financial Planner Boards of Standards, cited in the same article, a third of lottery winners went bankrupt in the, in the, in, uh, a third of lottery winners ended up going bankrupt over time. So, it, you get money quickly, it, it tends to disappear. <laughs> um, the New King James Version of the Bible, uh, that translation, translates the first portion of the scripture this way. It says, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. If you think about it, um, getting wealthy fast, getting wealth quick, typically is not, take, it's not done in a God-pleasing way. Typically, uh, there's some deception or deceiving, some dishonesty. Or it might take taking really uh, reckless risks with some people's, your, maybe other people's money or your money, um, or it's stealing. And so you might think about, you might be thinking about some examples. I can think of some other ones, but just kind of kind of ponder that because I, I think it. In as I've been thinking about this more and more, I, I think it is true that it typically when you get it fast, it, there's something. There was kind of a corner cut, you know. Um, gathering wealth in a God-pleasing way takes work. It takes discipline. Um, obtained little by little <laughs> is what the passage says. Dollar by dollar, client by client if you're a salesperson, or job by job if you're a contractor, or season by season if you're a farmer, year by year. The New King James Version of the translation of the passage, the second half states it this way, he who gathers by labor will increase. So the, the ESV version that I read was, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The ESV is, by labor will increase. And it, it's work. I think that, that slant of the passage, uh, that translation of the passage kind of brings home the fact that it takes work to save. It takes work to, to earn a paycheck, to earn a promotion, to save, to... Um, delay that instant gratification and purchase something you really want to have right now. It takes work to budget. It takes work to figure out how to, you know, that little savings you have to actually invest it and put it to work. I think there's, there's blessings that come from, doing, from gathering wealth little by little. Um, I think it, it gives us a, um, a better appreciation of what God's given us. If we're having to work hard to, to, to save and gather little by little, we, we, we appreciate more what God has blessed us with, and we're more, less likely to be frivolous or, or haphazard with those, with those blessings. 
I think it, it also equips us so that with little, when we're given little and we're good stewards of it, we learn how to be good stewards. We learn how to, uh, to be equipped to, to handle money and to gather it slowly. And, and I think with those lottery winners, you know, if you suddenly have it and you don't know how to, how to manage it, it kind of disappears. Another blessing is I think you just see, for me anyway, just how God works, just the, the universe. The, I mean, there's natural laws and there's, there's just the way things work in terms of, of how savings tend to grow exponentially. Um, you think about uh, like a snowball. Right? It's kind of an analogous to a snowball running down the hill, getting bigger and bigger. And you see it. You see it not just with money, but like farmers. You know, having a couple of animals, and those couple of animals turning into a flock, or a couple of plants, or a couple of seeds turning into fields, or a couple of dollars saved. Those earnings growing, and those earnings growing on top of those earnings, and and wealth is accumulated. Now, any talk about money, and I, I know this is kind of a mundane topic, probably. Um, any any kind of talk about money, there's I have to put out a, a definite caution, um, a major caution about wealth, and and that is that it can be an idol. It can become something that we're seeking, we're trusting, and the thing that we have to realize is that everything we have, all this wealth gathering, it's all God's. We're just we're just being stewards of what God has given us. So we need to be thinking about the money that we're spending is really God's money. Are we really spending this, you know, in a in a God-pleasing way, a way that God would want to have us use this money that he's given us? So I just want to make sure and make that caution. And I think a passage that really hits home on this is Matthew 19, the story of the rich young man. Um, and so I encourage you to take a look at that. So... The bottom line, I guess, here is, 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 let me just read the passage again. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The God-pleasing way to gather wealth is little by little, I think. Thank you. Thank you, man. That was great. So... What was God saying to you? What areas did he call you out on? Maybe it was uh, what Joe was sharing from loving your enemies. Maybe there's someone that's in your life that's difficult to work with. Maybe God's calling you to love them, serve them, help them. Uh, Maybe it was something that David shared with related to holding those two truths in your hand, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, that folly versus the wisdom. Uh, Do we really turn from our sin and trust God to turn our hearts to him so that we don't keep living through that sin and repeating it? Uh, Maybe it was what Josh had shared uh, related to, um, again, you know, going to the extreme of harshness, and that could feel like truth, but n- neglecting uh, kindness? Or is it being so kind that you forget about the truth that God has? Maybe he's stirring your heart to pick one versus the other mm-hmm. and actually taking both together. Um, Brandon, he also was sharing with us about uh, his plans. Maybe you're planning and God wants you to submit to him, and you know, he wants to challenge you to submit your heart to him. 
Uh, and then also Scott. I mean, money. I can't think of something that we more serve often than money. We spend our whole lives working. Uh, what's God saying to you in terms of your heart with money? Maybe he wants you to save and you're spending it. Maybe you're focused so much on money he wants you to give more. Um, where's God challenging you at? What specific things is he calling you to do uh, from today? Maybe there's a specific proverb he wants you to pray over. Um, you know, please do. Uh, as we're closing up now, I'd encourage you that uh, if there's something that's on your heart, uh, to come forward. Uh, we've got people that will be coming forward, and they'll be more than happy to be praying with you. Um, let's close out with prayer. Father God, you are good to us, and it's amazing how quickly we turn from you. And I am thankful for your scriptures. I am thankful for your Holy Spirit revealing to us areas that we get to surrender to you and be restored to you. Lord, please put in each of our hearts, each one of us, let us have a proverb that we can hold on to today and this week, that you would continue to challenge us, continue to draw us closer to you, and just experience the joy of your presence. Lord, we love you, and uh, we want to give the rest of the day to you. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.